Welcome everyone to the Money Mentors Podcast. My name is Glenn Fairburn and I'm here with my co-host Nathan Lear. We're brought to you by Hewlson Private Wealth, one of Australia's leading financial planning and wealth management firms. Today we'll be talking about holiday homes. It's sort of the Christmas festive year. People are heading away and can be um, coaxed into perhaps considering a holiday home. So we'll be having a chat about that. Just remember everyone, everyone that this is a general discussion. We're not providing specific advice and haven't considered uh, your specific circumstances. Uh, hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome everyone to this week's podcast. Uh, Nathan, this time of the year as we lead in to Christmas, I suppose a lot of people perhaps have arranged you know, trips away. It might be for a, a week or two down by the beach or at the coast and, and, and are leasing out holiday homes. And it can be, a, I suppose, a, a, a fairly tempting proposition to, to, to consider perhaps buying your own holiday house. Um, I suppose it, it's, it's one of those things that pops up from time to time with clients as a, as a goal to have a you know, property down by the beach or in a rural area, whatever it may be, as, as a bit of a retreat. Um, so I thought today perhaps we could just have a bit of a chat about what the options are, what the perhaps traps, what, the, what are the, some key tips that people can think about when they're perhaps considering buying a holiday house. What, what do you think sort of the key thing that people should be considering before they sort of take the plunge and, and, and buy a holiday house? I think just to start off, I think Glenn, this, this time of year, uh, people start to think about it because A, a holiday season is, is coming upon us, but, but B, when they, they see how much they might be spending for a week down at the beach somewhere um, and obviously it's peak it's peak season so it's quite expensive um, and then you know people start thinking well what if I was the you know the owner the landlord and I was receiving this rent so I think yeah I think definitely it's topical at the moment um, I think in terms of the considerations uh, as we always say I think it comes back to the objective um, so I think would you agree that that's probably you know, before you look at all the detail you'd want to understand like if you are looking to buy a holiday house what are you what, like what's behind that like how yeah, much think, you're going to use it and- i think the motivation behind the purchase is, is a key one because I, I think when you know over the christmas period whether it's december january obviously the weather's a bit warmer it can be really quite attractive if you're down by the beach the weather's great it, it can become i suppose something that you might sort of view as a bit of a dream and everything's fantastic but i think you know when, when you're looking at buying a holiday house one of the, one of the one of the um, things I think that it's important to bear in mind is, is this an investment or is it a lifestyle asset? And it's important to perhaps at least consider separating the two because if, if you're wanting to buy a property that's purely for personal use that you want to have full access to throughout the year, that can be quite different to saying, okay, we want to buy a house by the beach because I suppose one of the things to bear in mind is, you know, in particular, if you're renting a house over the Christmas period, you know how much you're paying. So what, what, what I've sort of experienced with, with clients who take the plunge and buy a holiday house, quite often they're sort of incentivized to lease it out over those times. So because the rental returns are so attractive, whether it's over Christmas or, or Easter, quite often they've gone into the um, objective of buying a holiday house so they can spend time you know, at the at the property during those periods, but when they start seeing the rental returns available, um, quite often that it, it it sort of transitions from a holiday house into more of an investment property. 
Um, so I, I think, you know, it's really important to say, okay, am I buying this as a pure lifestyle asset that I want to have full access to or is it an investment property? Because they can be quite different propositions. Yeah, definitely. One, one end of the spectrum, it might be purely a lifestyle asset where it's 100% for your use. So it might sit empty, I don't know, 70% of the year and you use it 30%, whatever the, the figure is. Um, you might have a hybrid of the two where you, you use it and you, for certain times of the year, then you rent it out. Um, other parts of the year, and I definitely agree that there'll, there'll probably be the temptation to rent it out during the peak period because that's when people will want it. That's when the price will be the highest. That but you then you don't get the for. benefit of using it, do you, when, when yeah. you're available perhaps? But then, yeah, exactly right. You might want to go down on Boxing Day, but that's when you're going to get peak um, peak rent or the most amount of rent. So there's a bit of a, a potential issue there. Or probably the third extreme is you just rent it out 100% of the year or make it available for rent. So whether it's a full-time tenant like a typical investment property or you just make it available on um, on one of the stays or airbnb 100 percent of the year and kind of accept that it's just there as an investment so they're probably the the the, the different options yeah so, so just going back a step with the option of looking at it as a pure holiday house like you you know you, you identify a property you make the the purchase and, and your objective is to effectively not make it available for lease uh, and you want full access to it um, I suppose just in that particular scenario, one of the downsides of that, if you know, if you're taking away the lifestyle aspect of it, is that it is a quite, quite a um, lumpy asset that's just sitting there for most of the year, potentially most of the year, depending on how frequently you use it. That's not generating any income, and effectively, it, it's a net loss, isn't it? Because regardless of whether you're there or not, you're still going to have the outgoings related to ownership of a property. And therefore, if you're not receiving any income, it's another further drain on the cash flow, whether you've got the cash to buy the property outright or, or whether, like for most people, they're borrowing the money to do it. So if you're borrowing the money to buy a holiday house and you're using it as a full private use asset, one, you're not getting a deduction for the interest. Two, you're not getting any income. And then three, you've obviously got the outgoing. So it can become a very costly um, purchase, can't it? It, it's a, it becomes an expensive holiday. Yeah, look, look that's right. The, the costs, the costs do add up. I mean, people, people probably have the the dream, like you said earlier, to buy a holiday house, and they they may not think about the outgoing because we all know running a running a household can be expensive with rates, insurance, utilities. Um, you know, it, it can all add up. So you're basically doubling. Well, they're your fixed costs, aren't they? Regardless your of whether costs. you're there or not. Yeah, because most people would own a house where they live and then this could be a, a second house and you know, there's other potential complications like land tax as well and, and things like that. So definitely, it definitely adds, adds, adds to the cost. I mean, whether or not you're funding it from obviously you have the equity or the cash available um, or you're borrowing the money, you know, interest cost, you mentioned that earlier, that could be another consideration. Probably the, yeah, you said earlier, I think the opportunity cost is definitely a big point where, you know, Let's say that five hundred thousand dollars is going to a, a holiday house. What else could you be doing with that five hundred thousand dollars? What what type of um, return could that be generating? Yeah, and, and I think that's where it becomes very much a personal preference, doesn't it? Because if you, let's just assume, for example, someone has five hundred thousand dollars and they're perhaps considering buying, you know, a, a property down by the beach as, as a lifestyle asset. Um, depending, I suppose, whether you like going to the same place all the time or not. Let's just assume for the moment that you're not renting it out and you just got half a million dollars that you used to buy that property. 
Another school of thought is, are you better off perhaps investing that amount of money, like half a million dollars? And, so, and we generally you know, work on the school of thought of a 5% income return. So if you've got half a million dollars generating 25000 a year in income, are you better off investing the money, getting the income return, and then using that 25000 to to lease a property for a week in different locations or go on overseas trips? I suppose that's the other alternative as opposed mm-hmm. to just locking yourself into one asset in one location. But that's where it becomes very much a personal choice, doesn't it? Yeah, that is completely right. And with the, I mean, in that example you just said then, the obviously the, the, the value of the property can be a benefit over over time. Yeah, assuming that it increases in value. If it appreciates, yeah, which definitely. isn't guaranteed, obviously. But, but then if it's invested, you know, if you're investing the half a million, that should grow as well. On that as well. Yeah, so look, that that's a good point. I mean, if it's a if it's a holiday house, you are you're tied you're tied to the one potentially tied to the one location, depending on maybe you know your your personal financial situation and whether or not you can afford other holidays. So I suppose you might like that location. People so might like that. There's no, I think there's no yeah. right or wrong answer with that particular scenario. I suppose the other thing, looking at the other end of the spectrum. So the the first point we're talking about was if they're just using it purely as a lifestyle asset and not making it available for rent. The, the complete flip side at the other end of the spectrum is that they buy a property down by the coast, which the intention of being a holiday house, but then it becomes a rental. I suppose the key thing there is that if it's available for rent, you know, most of the year or 100% of the year, then I think an important thing to bear in mind is that is that property the best investment property to buy? Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, is, is that the right property to be buying as an investment? If it's going to be available for investment all the time, or am I better off looking at a property in a different location? So I think yeah. the intention of that purchase really has to be identified yeah. early on. I think what I've found a lot of people doing and or trying to do is that yeah that hybrid model where they 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 try to get the best of both worlds. So they yeah, find- and that, that's I suppose what I was keen to have a discussion about is what's the best way to structure it. Is it that perhaps just explain what the hybrid model and how people can. You know, if they want to achieve that dream of buying the holiday house, how can they get the best of all those worlds? Yeah, I think an example. You know, we've all had a few examples, but the the, the five hundred thousand dollar holiday house down, let's say the Mornington Peninsula, wherever it might be. Um, so, let's say current interest rates are five percent. That that's gonna that's gonna let's just say you borrow it in this example. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's gonna cost you twenty five thousand dollars a year in in interest costs. Now, as you've identified, if you make that available for for rent, um, depending on the the percentage of the year that it's available for rent, that is that is tax deductible. So that that twenty five thousand um, dollars in interest cost is going to effectively be deductible. Mm-hmm. So that can provide a tax benefit, um, and then it all comes down to what what income you might get out of that property. So I think the idea, the way I would look at it, everyone's different, but I would look at it if you could achieve at least $25,000, probably a little bit more than $25,000. So like cash flow neutral. So it's basically paying for yeah. itself. Paying for itself, but you'd want it to be more than the the interest cost to cover outgoing. Yeah. I think ideally, um, so let's just say, I'll just say $30,000 to be a round number. Now that would be possibly an ideal situation where, as you said, it's cash flow neutral and then you can, get, you, you can go and make use of it as well. It's not always, in theory, going to be that easy, but I think that could potentially be a situation where i've had particular clients do that or target to try and do that yeah so the benefits of that particular model is that by making it available for 
at least part of the year, one benefit is that for whatever part of the year you're making it available, you get effectively the potential for deductibility of interest for that proportion. Yeah. So if it's available for 50% of the year um, as, a, as a rental property, arguably you'd get a be able to claim a deduction for 50% of the interest. Yep, so, so $12,500 12, yeah, so would offset it, against your tax. So, so you, you get a bit of a tax benefit there, so that helps the funding. Um, as you were saying, the other benefit is that you're getting some income to assist you in meeting those interest payments firstly, but then the ongoing maintenance. I suppose the compromise there is, as we were saying earlier, the, the attraction from an income perspective is that the greatest rental return that you'll get is possibly at times that you want to be there. Mm. Um, so, so that, that's I suppose the compromise you have to make, isn't it? Yeah, and and probably another point there is the the uh, maintenance costs. If if you have uh, tenants coming in, uh, you need to obviously clean the property. Uh, there might be some minor repairs that we all know. If people rent out places, they they might have a party or something and and break break things or put a hole in the wall or whatever. So there there can be added. Obviously, that you know, there, usually there's bonds for things like that, but there there can be added added costs. I think the the whole logistical side of it as well. If it's a, you know, if it's down at a coastal location and and you need to clean it in between uh, people staying, you'll either have to do it yourself or employ someone to do that, which is another added cost as well, isn't it? Yeah, and I suppose you could argue that there's been no easier time in history to to lease properties on short stay with you know your Airbnbs and and stays and so forth. So look, I think there there is the potential to go down the path of a holiday house and make it work. As we were saying, I think just the the key considerations is, is it an investment? If it is, then you really need to look at a broader market, don't you? You can't just say, well, I want to buy a holiday house, you buy it, but then it turns into an investment property. I think that's, from from my perspective, just through experience with clients and, 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 and friends and colleagues that have gone down that path, the initial intention is, I want to buy a holiday house and they buy it in a coastal area, but then... It's, it's for some reason, well, the attraction is income, then it turns into an investment property. Mm. So I think you really need to go into it eyes wide open because that may not be the best location to have an investment property versus you know having a holiday house that's pure for personal use. Yeah, I think understand the objectives at the start. I mean, obviously things change, but just try to have you know a clear objective why you're going into it. And like you, like you said with... Um, you know, the coastal property example or a country property for for example also they might that they have a completely different return profile than you know residential melbourne suburb, suburban property so i mean if you look at the way they've moved in recent years they can they can kind of go differently so you kind of need to understand the 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 characteristics of the property that you're going to buy yeah. and if it turns so if it starts at a holiday house but turns into a rental it's a completely different ball game it is and then that's mm. where you really need to because you know, a, a rental that's available more as a short-stay accommodation is potentially going to be harder work than just a normal investment property, whether it's an apartment or in a suburban residence where you've got that tenant over a you know, 12, two-year period. Whereas with a holiday property, I think going into that as an investment, you've just got to bear in mind that it, there's going to be a lot more short-stay and potentially yeah. a lot more work, as you were saying, with cleaning and so forth. So it can be quite time-consuming operating that property as well. Definitely, yeah, the hassle of it. If you have a full-time, a yearly lease rolling over and an agent managing it, you could you could potentially maybe not have to do a lot of, uh, spend a lot of time. But yeah, as you said, with the, the short-stay accommodation, yeah, there's, I mean, I know the, the Airbnbs of the world and the, the websites these days do make it that, that a lot easier to manage, 
but yeah, definitely be more of a, a time investment, that's for sure. And would it also be fair to say, I mean, this is probably being more prudent with managing your financial affairs, but I mean, really, if your intention is to buy a holiday house for the pure purpose of making it 100% available for personal use, is it fair to say that you'd really want to be in a fairly comfortable position, wouldn't you? You wouldn't, you wouldn't really want to be borrowing the money to purchase an asset that is effectively only going to be used for arguably a very short period of time through the year if you're not generating any income. Is that too conservative or like what's your take on that? Mm. I think it's tricky, tricky one to answer. It's a very lazy asset, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And it depends on the, as you said, depends on the, 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 the personal financial situation of those, those people. It's kind of like I kind of liken it to if I wanted to go and spend $500,000 on a residential property or a million dollars or $2 million, it kind of depends on my f- financial situation, what I, want to, what I want to go and spend on that property. Yeah, and I suppose you could argue that you know, instead of buying you know, a, a $1.5 million property in a Melbourne, perhaps you say, well, that's our option, but perhaps we'll compromise and buy a half a million dollar hmm. house in the outer suburbs of Melbourne and then another half a million dollar house you know, in a rural or coastal location. So yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it, it does depend on the overall situation. I suppose I'm just um, trying to caution our listeners to overextend themselves with, with you know, what we classify as bad debt, so debt that effectively yeah. you're not getting a deduction for and buying an asset that arguably you're not getting a lot of use out of. Aside from the fact, as you said earlier, there's a potential for growth in that property. Um, there's but just potentially a, no income, which no we, income. we all know income can be a, a very integral part of the return of an investment especially in, in periods where the asset may not appreciate in value. And we know that sometimes some of those coastal properties, for example, might, might not grow at or the be same a bit rate. more volatile. Yeah. So I think the income is, is important. One, thing, one point I was going to make is just, just when you go into it, understand, I think I said earlier, understand the cost. So understand all, we always talk about risks whenever you go into an investment. Understand all the costs, all the outcomes, because I think a lot of people understate those. But also um, in your... You know, in your forecasts, just understand if it's not rented out for whether the tenant moves out or, yeah, or what, it's a what's short stay. Going to be as well. Yeah, if it's a, if it's a short stay rental property and you can't, you're just not getting the demand for the for the rent um, for the for people stay there. Just understand, is that going to impact your cash flow? And we always say you never want to be a forced seller, so you just yeah. don't want your cash flow to be tight. So I think you just need to understand those things. Look, I suppose just just one other tip with regards, in particular, a, a coastal type property, because it can become a, a little bit romantic and I think people get that sort of impulse buying. They're down there, the weather's great, it looks fantastic, it's all happening. I mean, a tip would be spend a week in winter there and yeah, see if you still like it yeah. <laughs> because I think like any acquisition, you know, there's a sort of school of thought or just a general tip with managing wealth that, or just managing your day-to-day finances. It can be dangerous with that impulse buy. Sometimes it's good just to take a step back and then perhaps take a little bit of time and maybe go back a month later as opposed to getting all excited when you're down by the coast, seeing these properties for sale and saying, oh, how good would this be? And everything can move really, really quickly. And sometimes that can be good, you know, working on impulse and, and so forth. But I think it's important not to do things that, that can perhaps be quite damaging down the track. And we've seen, you know, a number of examples where people have bought, bought that coastal property, haven't had the time to spend down there, haven't rented it out. It's become a bit of a money pit and then they're selling it and perhaps haven't done that well out of it. Yeah, do, do your research is, is probably a key message there. Um, if you are looking to buy 
understand the market, spend time down there, uh, perhaps speak with real estate agents, perhaps speak to some of the locals, ask about you know the, the demand in off-peak if you're, if you're relying on off-peak rental income. I think like any investment, understand it. Um, the other point I was going to make is, I mean, I think you mentioned earlier, it is, it is a lumpy asset. Um, so we often, in, in a previous podcast, we compared property and shares and you know, quite often, you know, if, if I said to you, would you put $500,000 into a, into a pure share portfolio, um, you know, a lot of people might be like, wow, that, that's a lot of money. And you could almost argue that it's the same thing if you're going to put such a large amount of capital into a property asset. And, yeah. it, and it's potentially only one asset. So, yeah, just just understand all, all those things. Yeah, I mean, I'd hate for our listeners to think that we're dream crushers, but I, I think, you know, all that we're trying to say is with, with any asset that you're purchasing, purchasing that is costly, just do the homework, understand it. What are the implications? What are things that can go wrong? Um, and perhaps you can overdo things sometimes. We're not, we're not definitely not saying to go down that path, but what you don't want to happen is is go down this path where everything's really exciting and it's obviously a long-term dream and then things can go against you and perhaps you know it works out to be a bit of a nightmare um so we're not killjoys but it's just a matter of understanding i think what the what the downside risk on these acquisitions is as well yeah definitely don't want to sound like we're we're saying it's not a good idea because i know people both both clients and and friends that that have done it and and have achieved good outcomes with it so yeah as long as as long as you do your research understand it understand the costs uh it can be it can be a great investment slash lifestyle asset for people to own and also like one of the other um possible reasons people might might do this is as a future downsize mechanism so yeah that, that, that's quite common isn't it i've seen that quite a bit with our clients yeah they'll, they'll live in their their suburban property buy a holiday house um with a view that in five ten years time when they retire or semi-retire perhaps that they they might move down there so it's a way you can got to kind of get a foot into that particular market get to know the area and and see if it's a place that you actually want to permanently re- relocate upon retirement so so just to sort of recap and, and and wrap things up as far as a i suppose a little bit of a checklist or key things um that people should be considering is it fair to say that in an ideal world from a pure financial perspective that if they're buying a holiday house one obviously make the distinction as to whether it's an investment or whether it's a lifestyle asset that would be probably number one um, because they are quite different Secondly, in an ideal world, making it available at least for part of the year for rental so that you can potentially get a tax deduction but also generate some income so, so that it doesn't, doesn't become a money pit but actually worst case scenario is cash flow neutral so that effectively it's an asset that's available for you to use um, personally but it's not effectively costing you anything. Um, would they be sort of the main points? Yeah, I'd say understand the costs. We spoke about that a bit earlier. Just understand yeah, not all, just interest, all the other all outgoings the outgoings. As well. um, and as we always say, understand the risks. If uh, interest rates rise, you can't rent it out. Tenant moves out. Just just understand all the risks. And I think if you tick off those things, you're, you're probably well on the way to making an informed decision. And I suppose just lastly, just the other thing is try and avoid that impulse buying, um, whether that's property or any any sort of you know potential large-scale purchase over the Christmas period. Everyone gets a little bit excited. But just take a step back um, and it may not be waiting till winter but perhaps just you know, going away, doing the research and, and making sure that you're in a position where, as we always say, you're never a forced seller. Um, so look, on, on that note, I just want to thank everyone for listening this week. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the podcast and look forward to speaking to you all again next week. 
Thanks again, everyone, for listening to this week's podcast. Please remember to check out Hewison Private Wealth at their website, which is hewison.com.au. You can also search Hewison Private Wealth on the various social media platforms, so Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Um, and look, we, we, will, we would really appreciate if you subscribe on our iTunes and also rate and provide comments. And please remember to email us at moneymentors at hewison.com.au. We'd love to hear any suggestions for future episodes and also get your feedback. Um, Look forward to speaking to you all again next week. Thanks again.